Greetings, beloved. I just stumbled onto a site that says it proudly is powered by, you know, whoever, and then claims that God intends for slavery to exist forever. This wasn't anything I was looking for. Um, <clears throat> I was specifically learning about someone in history who doesn't matter. I was just doing some biblical historical research. I stumbled onto this website and I haven't actually even read it except for this one paragraph that said Ham was cursed forever. Um, if not Ham, then his son was cursed forever. Like Cain's grandson, something like that, okay? Or Ham. Yeah, the curse of Ham, okay? And it said that God never lifted that curse. Now, there are many things in the Bible, praise you, Jesus, that God did not say, I now lift this, right? Including the Moabites not being able to go into the temple and the synagogue. Um, Ruth is the great-grandmother of David the king of Israel. And she was a Moabites, and of course Boaz, her husband, was the son of a former prostitute who I believe Rahab married a man of Israel, child of Israel. But at a time when the Moabites were not just foreigners, but they were um, shunned, disallowed, let's say, Right, They were no longer allowed to come into the presence. And they certainly couldn't worship with, right? God did something for Ruth. At a time when people who bled, physical blood, were considered unclean and there were very strong rules about this to protect the nation. Amen. God did something with the woman who was bleeding, not just, you know, all day long and not just all week long and not just all month long and not just for two months. It's a lot of blood um, for anyone who's been injured, you know, and bled for anyone who's a woman and bled. That's a lot of blood. This woman had bled for 12 years. Over a decade, she'd been bleeding. And it sounds like she'd been bleeding every single day. She was at the point where she was almost out of blood, it seems. Do you know what I mean? Um, she was out of life. And just a quick note, it's interesting that Jesus shed his blood for us. Amen. So he was on his way to help someone in dire need 
And this unclean woman touched him. To even be in his presence. I mean, this is the rabbi, but this is also the king of kings. This is the son of God. This is the Messiah. Um, If you wouldn't touch, you know, a magistrate, if you wouldn't touch a scribe, um, a chief priest, you know, a priest, you certainly would not touch Jesus, Yeshua. She touched him. And the power of his virtue came into her and she was healed. I'm interested in what God does in these environments that are set up. They matter. Amen. In a moment, he comes in and he does something uh, that only God can do. The woman at the well, there was an environment about her. It's often, in my own hearing, been brought up that she came at a time when other women weren't getting water to drink. I don't know. I mean, that makes perfect sense. But whether or not she was avoiding other women or not allowed to be around them in some way, she was living so differently than other women. She had a man, she was married, and then she wasn't, and he could have died, so she could have gotten married again to write someone. Well, she got married again. I remember when I was a child hearing about a woman who was married and then divorced and then remarried and then divorced and then remarried. And she actually sounded like, not like an alien, she sounded like people who don't really exist like that doesn't happen and there she was right so she was at the edge of the things that could be right this is a woman thousands of years ago who was married five times how was that even possible do you know what I mean how, how could she have five divorces and why did she have five divorces did five men die was she just you know given to all these men's brothers it didn't sound like it. It said, and the one you're with now isn't even your husband. That doesn't sound like she was given through the family line, amen, as they went through kind of a Naomi tragedy of, you know, her husband and her sons dying. It sounds like she maybe, maybe got a bill of divorcement uh, for some reason whether she was a victim and she got kind of, you know, mistreated. I don't think women had the right to say no to the man, to say I'm out of here. I think he could get rid of her. Um, But somehow she not only had gotten divorced, but she didn't get stoned. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of people, I think, have pointed to her being, um, I don't know, uh, of ill repute right? She wasn't a prostitute. She was married to these men. She had ceremonies, right? Whether it was just her and the justice of the peace, amen, or or a whole community, she was married. She was legally with them. And so I wonder, I wonder if she was difficult. (laughs) I wonder if she was quite high maintenance. Why? Because of the way that she 
She's, she's not a wallflower, this one. Amen. You know, again, when she goes and gets her water, perhaps she was avoiding other women. Um, but the way that she talks to him, she has no problem kind of, oh, give me that water. Or, well, we believe in you. And she's got a lot going on there, right? With her opinions and what she thinks she knows. Well, praise God. The Bible says before he got to her that he had to go through Samaria. So there was holy purpose. Jesus lived 33 years. He ministered for three years or three and a half. Everything he did had a lot of purpose, import, vitality, emphasis, highlight. Amen. And he chose to go through Samaria. And this woman was chosen very much like Rebecca was chosen. The servant of God went to find a daughter um, of his family line. Um, Abraham sent his servant so that his son could have a wife. And this perfect, this ideal woman, young woman came and offered to give him water, to give water to his camels, to let him stay where she lived. They even had extra fodder. They had food for his animals to stay uh, with them. And the servant had asked for this very thing as he sat by the well praying to God to discern, to find this woman who would marry his master's son. Well, here's Jesus (laughs) coming through and his choice, amen, God's choice for the evangelist, for the one who would spread the word, right? For the one who would believe, for the one who would receive him, amen? Everyone who received Jesus gained the right to become a child of God. And she became one implanted with the seed of truth spreading out to others, an evangelist. But she did not offer him drink. She offered him back talk, you know, if that's what you call it. She offered him argument. She offered him her opinions. And he... Conversed with her in such a way that she knew she had encountered the Messiah. And that conversation did not take 10 minutes. It only takes a minute or two to read. Amen? I mean, of course, it could have taken 10 minutes. But what I mean is you can do that dialogue in a very short period of time. So she kind of turned on a dime. Which to me says that she's a descendant spiritually of Rebecca. Amen. This, mm-hmm, this bride of the master's son. And she's a real believer. I mean, she does what Jesus tells other people to do when he heals them. She didn't even get healed of something physical. She just became 
convinced of his holiness, amen, and of his eternal purpose. Praise you, Father God. And that happened to a Samaritan, to someone with syncretic views. Theologically, she was just all a jumble of stuff. And she said things she did not know about, and he corrected her. He didn't correct her like she was in a, a dummy, you know. He corrected her like, no, this is what you think, but this is what is the truth. And it changed her because he told her that what she was looking for was standing before her. He first said it regarding the water. He told her he was the water. <laughs> or he told her he, he had the water to give, amen? And then he told her he was the one that she shared she was seeking, that all were seeking. And uh, so God did that in the midst of the Samaritans being people that the Jews didn't even come near, you know. Uh, praise you, Jesus. So all of this speaks to me of this um, issue of slavery. God's been talking to me about freedom. And then I just a couple days ago heard another word from someone and they too spoke of freedom I grieved when I read today that um, statues of Robert E. Lee were going to be taken down or already one was taken down from the Capitol and I had this discomfort like oh Father God that just sounds like such a Mm. And all of this, you know, push-pull of national um, identity and, oh, Lord Jesus. And he showed me that there are people who view, well, I know that Robert e. Lee, Robert e. Lee was known as a wonderful man. Amen? According to my husband, and I, I trust his history knowledge. <laughs> um but he's taught me a lot. Um, and I think I learned that Robert E. Lee only f fought for the... I don't know. I don't remember at all. I mean, I can't say because I don't remember. But um, he taught me that Robert E. Lee was a great guy. And the Lord showed me how there are people who know uh, a young fella to have been a great guy. And that young fella killed 3,000 of us U.S. citizens at 9-11. And so I, he gave me this just quick view that there's no way that we would put a statue up for that man who just, from our perspective, just blindly terrorized a nation. And for what? But to the people that he was working for and working with and 
to his family that believed in what he was doing. He was fighting on the good side of a war. And so these statues certainly stand for people and other people's views of their goodness, which of course we know is really only coming from God, but secularly speaking, they did great things, you know. But they also make statements. And I think what the Lord was showing me was that there's a statement that's made through people who fought for slavery. And there's a lot of discussion that we could go into concerning slavery itself. But I want to touch on just one thing. I woke up this morning. Oh, gosh, I don't know what time it was. One, two, three. And I heard a cultural... Cultural cleansing. It was cultural clean. Let me look it up because I wrote it down. It was crazy. Jesus, cultural cleaning realignment. Thank you, Lord. Um, there's a cultural cleaning realignment that God is doing and going to do and where his wrecking ball prophets would call him was brought into office and he just decimated the government as it was known to be he just fired people and ended departments and I mean you'd probably need an historian to go through and try to like retrace his steps you know to undo anything that he did in order to just have the things that the government had when he showed up and interestingly that's kind of what the current president seemed to do concerning the administration before him was to go through and kind of try to undo it all amen um But here, he had done these things in such sweeping movements to reframe what government was and what government does. Praise you, Jesus. Uh, Clinton, let's see, Bush was a Republican. Clinton was a Democrat. Bush was a Republican. Obama was a Democrat. Trump became a Republican after being a Democrat. And Biden is a Democrat. There's been a swing back and forth, left and right. And citizens, many citizens of the United States, 
got off of that swing and became purple or a third party, but mostly just stopped identifying as one or the other. They were so um, not just polarized, but they were pretty unpopular. And the populism in the last six years uh, reignited people's draw to choose a side. Kind of like when people stopped watching TV completely and TV kind of revived itself. Somehow. (laughs) Uh, And drew people back to watching their TV shows at night. Mm, Praise you, Jesus. It doesn't mean that God is a Republican or a Democrat. If we go through what either of those, both of those mean, the ways of Jesus can be seen in either and in both. For me, a stark example of this is abortion, pro-life, that argument, and the tragedy of child abuse. So, like, is it PETA that doesn't want animals harmed or killed or there's some organization that is against stray animals being killed. Maybe it's the Humane Society. But then you also want animals to be treated well who have a home. You don't want animals behind closed doors to be um, mistreated. Likewise, you don't want children in the womb wherever they are in their processing to be lost, whether through natural causes, through accidents, or deliberately, intentionally. You don't want to lose those children. You don't want those generations lost. You don't want those babies killed, consciously or unconsciously, knowingly or unknowingly. You want them to live. When the babies come out of the womb, you want them to thrive. You want them healthy. And not just the children that you know and you love and amen that you had yourself, but all children, every child. If you want to make sure that every child gets born, amen, you want to make sure every child is treated well and grows up healthy. So those are two concerns. One of the concerns the baby in the womb go to one side of the political aisle and the other concern, the children growing up, is really politically leaning to the other aisle. Um, Not that families are not important to both at all. Okay. The swinging back and forth doesn't make God a Republican one year and a Democrat another. We know that authority is given by God and we're called to pray for our leaders. And depending upon our politics, 
that's such a pleasure or can be very hard to pray for, pray for the blessing and the wisdom for someone when you have just personal challenges with them, with the person or with the way they rule or, or govern or... Amen? Okay. Likewise, God is not for one color and not for another, right? And our Bible tells us that Jesus brought Jew and Gentile together, slave and free, male and female, in himself. As a matter of fact, he says he came to set the captives free. And the blood of Jesus is enough to release people from slavery. Now, what I'm saying to some people might be like, well, this is just so obvious, T. Why do you even have to say it? There are obviously people whose theology has wrapped around their cultural understanding, their cultural identity. And so there's a cleansing of culture that needs to happen is from the word of God, where the word of God gives people truth that sets them free from misunderstanding. God showed me a movie, The the Law of Vengeance, like a Hatfield and McCoy thing where these families were fighting, and I don't remember the reason they fought. I think one thing happened, and then people got offended kind of a thing. And one man was like, I'm not doing this, and moved away and raised his family. And anyway, one of his kids and one of the other side's kids fell in love. And that just stirred up a big pot of trouble, death, and um, really just uh, sadness, watching it sadness. They were believing things that were based on who they understood themselves to be. And in order for us to sort of make it, amen, we've got to let go of the identities that have cushioned us, isolated us, buffered us, fed us, amen, um, strengthened us, and, and frankly deceived us out of the greater circulation of the body of Christ because we are no less and no more than the rest of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And for everyone's sake, we need to allow the icons, the idols, the the beliefs, the customs, the traditions, the ways, the teachings, the hatreds, the grudges, the politics, um, the habits, uh, the insistences, um, even the hobbies that are no longer serving because they 
are rooted in or they are subject to or they are um, like enslaved by, frankly, ideas that aren't Jesus, that aren't truth. And to say that slavery will last forever is not Christ because Christ is salvation. He came to save the world. Now we can talk about the elect, amen, but the elect is not a race like, you know, Arab, amen, Indian, Asian, African, European. It's in the in the natural, it was Jewish, amen. So already everybody else is right outside that party, amen, unless you're Jewish. But then when we talk Gentile, that's everybody. Everybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And you don't ask someone in the Netherlands that. You don't go to... Um, what is it, Downing Street, 10 Downing Street? You don't go to Windsor Castle and ask about that. You go to Israel. Because there the Christianity comes out of Judaism. And when you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. And that's every, you're in a big, big bucket as the swine of the world, as the heathen. And you're plucked out of that bucket in believing in Jesus. So to even bring God's name up, whoever bringing God's name up, there is an assent, an agreement that Jesus has saved our sins, that, um, that he came for the lost and the broken. And I'm interested in Simon the Cyrene. I believe the Cyrene meaning that he was an African. I'm interested because these things in history have such prophetic resonance. There's so much meaning to what happened while Jesus lived. And in particular, what happened that we know about. Excuse me, what happened that has been shared with us that we repeat that we teach one another and this African man carried Jesus's cross for a while isn't that something carried Jesus's cross for a while I want to I want to hug you number one, whoever you are. And I want to say to you that I'm going to just make sure that my phone doesn't... There we go. I want to say to you that all of us have cleansing of our cultures going on. And we all have embedded cultures that we know nothing about. There's just stuff we do. Excuse me. That I heard Joyce Meyer talk about years ago. Was it a cake? Or was it a, a ham? 
they'd cut, I think, a piece of meat and stick it in a pan. And one year, she's like, there's a lot of meat that you're missing out on. Why do you do that? Well, it turns out years before, they would cut it to fit into a pan. And then when they had different pans, they just kept cutting it. And that inculturalization, is that it, Lord? We've become encultured in ways that we have no idea. We just do stuff because we saw it done. We do it because somebody told us to do it until it became something we did voluntarily on our own or second nature. We do it because we're attracted, we're drawn to certain things, but we grow those values by what we witness around us often, etc., etc., etc. So whether you are Jew or Gentile, of Africa or of Europe, of Asia or of India, um, male or female, child or senior, whatever your station, whatever your ways, the way Jesus is coming back to a spotless bride is we surrender our own crowns, we surrender our own allegiances to say Christ above all. And this doesn't mean we won't have a culture, but the culture of heaven will be revealed to us as astonishing in its ability to include all nations and tribes and tongues. The last thing I'll mention, and I just think it's important for us to remember, and this is not for one group of people, this is for all of us, but Jesus said the last will be first, and throughout his own testimony, his own life experience, we see people that everyone was surprised to see Jesus paying attention to, like blind Bartimaeus. This is a guy by the side of the road. Some people would say, this is a guy that doesn't matter. Now, as we read the story, we know he matters <laughs> because there it is. And there's the way that Jesus treated him. And just like the people in the story, we can adjust our treatment of him and his story to match Jesus's attention on him. But to get out of the groove of jumping right back into ways in which we would pass him by ourselves, we really need to allow what Jesus does and says to us to go deeper than just that instance and to realize he cared about the afflicted. He called the woman who had been bleeding to death a daughter. Uh, he stayed in Samaria, in Samaria after the woman that he spoke with shared with the people she knew that she had found the Messiah. He allowed a woman to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair which is already a really provocative activity. I mean, if it happened today, I'd be like, whoa, like right now, 
if I was hanging out with a friend of mine who was a pastor, or let's just say he was a real potentate. What I mean by that is like he was like a, you know, just a big time pastor, you know. And I just hanging out with him. Bunch of people, maybe. And somebody walked in and had super long hair and came to him and took his shoes off. I would already be like, whoa, that's an intimate activity. Whoa, whoa, why is he letting her do that? Whoa, how do they know each other? And that's something, actually, I've never thought about. You know, Simon was judging Jesus for allowing her to treat him the way that she treated him. But just somebody taking off this religious man's shoes, I'd be like, why do you let a woman take your shoes off, dude? Whoa, how does she, and where does she have the sort of gumption? You hear how my thoughts are moving? Well, then if she started crying, you wonder, well, now what's happened between them? (laughs) I wonder, let me say me. And then as she begins to wash his feet with her hair, you go, that is just way too intimate for anybody's comfort. When the woman poured the alabaster um, container of oil onto his feet or over his body, or I don't remember, I'm sorry, I'm in this moment I don't remember it. Judas said, hey, why are you spending all of that perfume or that oil on this? This could feed, you know, this could clothe. And here's something mighty that I think is really hard to remember. Today, it could seem that way to us. We read the story and we go, well, yeah, Judas, what's your problem, dude? Duh. It's Jesus. You know, <laughs> Look what Jesus says about it, right? So we're siding with Jesus when it's obvious what he wants us to side with. When it's not so obvious, it becomes an act of our discernment. And that discernment comes from our hearts. It comes from his residence and our knowing him. Right? Jesus said about James and John who were ticked off and wanted to hurt somebody, Hey dudes, you guys don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know who you are and where you're from. Because if you did, you wouldn't do that. When Peter was like, dude, you are not dying. Jesus made no bones about Satan. Get back. Right? Why? That's the very reason that Jesus had come. The very reason that Jesus had come. Somebody said to me yesterday, just in passing, and they had no idea. They're just chatting, right? And they said, um psychology is emotional like basically that's emotional health I said no that's mental health no it's it's emotional health and I gently but firmly continued why well God himself (laughs) called me to emotional health and has been showing me teaching me revealing to me what he says are the distinctions and it's important or he wouldn't have called me to it. So someone shows up just out of nowhere, you know, I'm just kind of doing my thing. And someone has a conversation and says, no, 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 that's not what that is. It, 
it's not about them, but that was a challenge to my calling. And so I made no bones about it. No, that's not the case, right? And whether they even really heard me, I spoke it. Amen. That it's what God tells me it is. So what I'm hoping to relay here is when he says the last will be first and there will be people that are accepted that surprise us and people that are not accepted that surprise us, let it be an inspiration and motivation to us to know him well and to give our hearts to the Lord. Lord, just have your way in me. To recognize the import and the ease, frankly, the ease How do I say that, Lord? How vital it is to allow the Lord to have his way. That that in itself, that our getting the word in us and going with Jesus and trusting him and receiving him and just having God be the God of our lives and the utterances of his mouth, the word, be what we cleave to, will get us home. And if we don't go that way, we can end up somewhere else and not even know it. Now, that is not saying you're going to be deceived. I'm not saying that at all. Praise Jesus. I'm I'm seeking to say the Lord Jesus is faithful and he's getting us home. But it's important, beloved, that we not cleave to things if he communicates to us that they are not him. We don't, we of ourselves, we don't have a clue. But when the word comes to us and we recognize its wisdom, we recognize its source is Jesus. We know it's God talking. That's the moment we drop our water pots. That's the moment we no longer care how we look and we drop to our feet and we say woe is me lord i'm a man i'm an unclean man with unclean lips like this is this is where jesus is lord and we are somewhere else amen <laughs> praise you jesus and he lifts us up you know he said to peter when peter had been like yeah dude like i know what i'm talking about and jesus is just just go out there and do what i say and he goes you know at your word i'm going to do it like, you know, I'm wasting my time, but he did it and he ended up with the hall of his life. He then dropped to the ground in worship and in confession, I know nothing, right? That's what Job said. Oh, I abhor myself in dust and ashes. Now, everybody around him might have been like, Job, no, 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 don't say that, man. What are you talking about? That's so extreme. But Job had been in an extended conversation with the creator of the universe. And suddenly all that he had been through was nothing (laughs) compared to all that God is and and has done. We got to let God be sovereign. This is where our future is. This is where our safety is. And this is where our union is. It's in Christ. It's in the utterances of God. It's in his word. It's in his truth. It's in his love that comes in this grace and this 
revealing of what is so. And when we come into contact with something that is so, that goes against the grain of what we have insisted or been uh, cushy because of, we got to let that cush go. We got to let it go. And I'm not saying it's easy, amen, truly. I'm saying it's worth it. And I'm saying this is the path of life. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And don't let anything that you've been, that you preferred, that you, you know, I really like, you know, beige. No, 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 no. Don't hang on to anything that's not Jesus. And Jesus will make sure he hangs on to you. Okay? That's it. Um, slavery is over. Slavery is over. And this is most important for people who believe in it. Because it's enslaving you. You want to allow the Lord Jesus in all that he is, right? The Paschal Lamb in all that he is to be who he is for you. And that includes the liberator. In Jesus' holy name, I declare that you are free of slavery and you are free of a slavery mentality and you are free of an enslaved heart. You are free to love, you are free to live, you are free to obey, you are free to respond in love to God as a volunteer to worship him and to praise him in thanks, in offering thanks and not just with a heavy burden, toiling, striving, taxing obligation, but because he's worthy and because he's good and because he's loving and because he's faithful. You are free to believe the truth. And I bless you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and your comings and your goings. I bless you to know Jesus as Lord.